we're going to be in Exodus 34 today. And so if you want to turn there, um, also again, as Alex said, celebrating baptism. So a great day. Uh, this is really getting into the final parts of the book. In fact, only one more message in Exodus. And it feels like it's gone by quite quickly uh, as we've been working our way through the story of Israel being delivered out of slavery by God and then into a season of trusting him. And, and we began this series talking about how God reveals himself to us in unique ways during seasons of challenge, seasons of hardship, for us, that's been coronavirus, politics, racial tensions, uh, just all kinds of things. And so how God reveals himself to us, and, and God has been good. God has revealed himself to us as a church, to many of us as, as individuals. And so we are grateful uh, to be working through this together. Will you stand up with me? Each week we do this, I ask you if you will stand up. I'm going to read a portion that we will be in. And I'm going to read out of Exodus 33. It's Right at the end of last week's message, in the beginning of this week's message, is this passage. It's Exodus 33, 1 through 6. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk, of, with milk and honey, but God says, listen, but God says, I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a moment I should go up among you, I would consume you, so now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. We're coming out of this place where uh, God is up speaking to Moses on the mountain and the people down below are worshiping a golden calf. And, and as they come back down from, from God being good to them and God caring them, for them to them having betrayed God so deeply that there is this, this send the people, we're gonna, I'm going to take the people, I'm going to fulfill my promises to the people, but I'm going to do it with me at a distance because really my holiness will consume them right now. So today, we're going to talk about grace. And here's a main idea for you. This is in the app. Forgiveness we don't deserve. God gives us unmerited favor or grace when we repent and seek him. We never deserve it, but God gives it graciously through Christ. Grace is that unmerited favor that God gives to us as we repent and follow him. And, and we never deserve it, but God gives it to us through Christ anyways. Grace is such good news. Grace is the foundation of the gospel. Will you pray with me and we will get to the text. God, thank you that we can gather today both in person and online. Uh, I'm grateful for the baptisms we get to celebrate today, Lord. We are so grateful for people who have come to faith, uh, even through coronavirus, Lord. And so we're so grateful. As we meet, as we talk, as we work through your word this morning, May I fade somewhere into the background, and, and Jesus, will you speak to us? We are your church. You are our shepherd. You are the word of God become flesh, and we desire to learn from you. And so, Jesus, will you help us as we gather this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Exodus 34. Let's slide this over a bit. Verse 1. 
The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Kind of a funny beginning to today, uh, as God says to Moses, I want you to carve out two more tablets of stone. If you remember where we left off last week, Moses came down the mountain knowing the people were betraying God, and he comes up and he sees it, and he sees that they are worshiping a golden calf, a calf that they have fashioned out of their earrings and bracelets and gold and necklaces and whatever they had. And as, they, as they're doing that, Moses comes down and, and loses it a bit. And he, he takes the two, the, the two tablets that he had that God had written on himself, and, and Moses in anger throws them and they break. So this passage picks up with God speaking to Moses and really showing grace to Moses and says, okay, let's try two more tablets, right? I'll do this again. Verse 2. He says, be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses is in the tent of meeting. He's in this place where down the hill among the people, kind of outside of the camp where God meets with him. But now Moses, uh, God calls Moses to go back up Mount Sinai where God is going to meet with him. And he reminds him, nobody gets to come with you. Not even any animals get to graze over near the mountain or they will be consumed. And we're reminded over and over again, as we see the sinfulness and the flaws of the people, we're reminded about the holiness of God, that there's a great big contrast being drawn between God's holiness and man's sinfulness. Verse 4, it says, So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and he went up on Mount Sinai. And as the Lord had commanded him, he took in his hand two tablets of stone. This verse here reminds me of another verse uh, in Genesis. And it's when God calls Abraham to take Isaac, his only son, up on a mountain to offer Isaac as a, as a sacrifice, to kill his son to worship God, right? And, and if you're unfamiliar with that story, I know it sounds crazy. If you're familiar with the story, you're, it's a very uh, often commonly told story. And, and God rescues and, and prevents Abraham, but it's a test to see how Abraham's faith is in God. And will, God, uh, will Abraham trust God? And, and will Abraham do what he's called to do? And, and Abraham comes through it uh, and does well, and God prevents, obviously, from killing his son. And but it says this, it says, and so he rose early the next morning. And I often think of that, and, and if God told me to do something, the hardest thing ever, right, the hardest thing God had ever called me to do, if God said, get up and go sacrifice your son, right, get up the next, would I, would I want to sleep in and kind of push this off a bit, or would I be rising early to go do the thing that was so hard? And I think of this in our context today, when God calls us to do something, often we don't do it very quickly, Sometimes we'll even spiritualize and say, well, let me pray about that for a little bit, when we know God is calling us to do something. And this says, so Moses cut two tablets of stone. He rose early in the morning, and he went up on Mount Sinai and took those tablets with him. Verse 5, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will no, my, by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity 
of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses goes up into the mountain. He goes up into or up onto the mountain, up to the top of the mountain and into the cloud as God descends around him. And God begins to proclaim to Moses who he is. God is proclaiming who he is, who himself to Moses. And he, and he says this, I am the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, right? On the heels of a ton of sin, on, on the heels of, and I mean, just think of this in the big picture as we've gone through Exodus, right? We start way back here with the Israelites calling on God to deliver them from slavery, and so God does so, and he does so in spectacular fashion, not just delivering them, but causing them to leave Egypt a wealthy and prosperous nation. And so as they do that, and Egypt pursues them to overtake them and kill them, God takes care of the Egyptian army, right? God gets rid of the Egyptian army, kills them. And all without Israel having to fight for themselves. God fights for them. God delivers them. God saves them. God rescues them. And then we have these stories of God's presence leading the people with a, a covering of cloud by the day, keeping them cool, a pillar of fire by night, lighting their way. When they come to a place with no water, literally, miraculously, God has provided water. They've had no food. They're out in the wilderness. And so God gives them manna, this bread, every morning. And then every night, he gives them quail, a meat. And then he provides for them water. He does all these miraculous things, including talking to Moses up on the mountain. And for all those things that God does amazingly for the people, here's how they pay him back. They decide to make a golden calf and worship it like that calf is God. And they say, you're the God. To the calf, not God. To the calf, they say, you're the one that delivered us out of Egypt. You're the one that cares for us. And they sing these songs and get drunk and have this party, and they, they throw all this worship around this calf. And so it's on the heels of that where Moses comes down, throws the stone tablets, he gets angry, he loses it with the people, and, and, and he just tells them, listen, God is so angry. Because of our idolatry, our false worship, God is angry, and rightfully angry. And they are attributing all the goodness that happens to them in life, they're attributing it to a golden calf. And as Moses gets up on the mountain, God says this, I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God says he forgives iniquity and transgression, but will not clear the guilty. And so God is reminding Moses of his faithfulness to forgive, his graciousness, his mercy, when all around us, are, are, well, all around Moses and all around God right now are people who deserve judgment, yet still God is being gracious. And it's around this idolatry, they've broken their covenant with God by worshiping false idols. It's a lot like us today, and I, I want to modernize this, I want to put this in our context. And let me just say it like this, in our context today, we don't worship a golden calf, but over the last few months, we've been sure caught up in the worship of a donkey and an elephant, right? Team blue versus team red. And this all came to a culmination. This all came to a head around this election and, and Christians on both sides giving this litmus test. You can't be a Christian and vote for this or not vote for this or do this or do that. And there's just been this deep idolatry around politics. I'm going to put this on the screen for you just to kind of summar, summarize it. 
an American idol. Today, our rights and beliefs are our doctrine, right? Our rights, our beliefs, what we think we have as Americans, that's our doctrine. And the Constitution is our Bible, and party affiliation is about worship, and leaders become our prophets and our saviors. That's how we, the church, that's how Christians in America have treated politics for years. But really, in this last season, especially, and, and, and talk to each other about, you can't be a Christian and do this, and you can't be a Christian, and because our politics have become our religion, and politics have become our idols. Verse 8, it says, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Worship should always be our response. So the, our response to figuring out we've been caught up in false worship, right? We, we've been doing the wrong things. We've been trusting in some other solution, not God. We've been trusting in humans or politics or, or whatever. Our response should always be to worship God. It says that Moses quickly bowed his head and worshiped. Church, this should be us today. We, we should bow our heads a bit in humility. We should be humbled by the fact that we have treated politics like our religion, that we've treated parties like our church, that we've treated people, uh, a presidential candidate, a president or, or a, a senator, somebody else, a governor, we've treated them like prophets and saviors. And, and, and we just, we should see this in our lives. We should look around and not go, oh, well, they do that. Or how can they vote like this and still call themselves Christians? Well, how can we trust in this system so much? How can we give so much of ourselves to this human thing and not say that we're not idolizing it? And so our response should be humility. We should humble ourselves before God. We should bow our heads as Moses does, and we should worship. We should turn and worship God. Verse 9 says this, and Moses said, if I have now find, found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance." We talked about this image of stiff-necked last week, and, and it's been repeated and repeated that they're a stiff-necked people, and it's this idea that as God speaks to them, they are just turned away, and they just refuse to turn back and see God. And, and, and maybe, maybe it's out of guilt, maybe it's out of hardness of heart, but this stiff-necked image is a powerful one. And in America, in a church, and, and, and we, we today, we need to see this image in ourselves When we we refuse to listen when we, when we push away the truth, when we push away things because they, they hit our hearts so deeply because we know that we're guilty of them. We should turn back to God, and it requires kind of a, a confronting, if you will, a, a confronting of ourselves and our, and our falling short. But repentance is what we need. Moses pleads on behalf of the people to God. Moses goes to God and he says, if I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go out in the midst of us. I know you said, go along and I'm going to stay away from you because I don't want to consume you, but God, please go with us. And Moses confesses, I know we're a stiff-necked people. I know, I know we're a hard-hearted people. But he says, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. The gospel message really centers around that separation of, of sinful and corrupt people and the holiness of God. And, and it, it, the, the gospel reminds us that God created us and, and loves us. And even though we've all sinned and we've fallen short of where God calls us to, and, and when I say fallen short, it, it's, it's clearly a quote from Romans, but 
But it sounds like falling short sounds so accidental, but we need to understand ourselves like, that we intentionally go the other way. Knowing what God has called us to do, we all sin, we all go the other way, we all do what is wrong, we all do it knowingly, we all do it willingly, we, we do it repeatedly. But God still loves us. See, God's still in this conversation, and he still calls Moses up to him. Moses didn't go up on Mount Sinai and yell, hey God, hey, hey come, can you come talk to me? Can you come down? I want to I beg on behalf of the people. I want to plead for your forgiveness. No, God called Moses, go up the mountain. I want to talk with you. I want to I re-covenant myself with the people. And so Moses begins to beg for forgiveness. After God has revealed himself as being the one who forgives transition, transgression and iniquity and sin. And it just reminds us of the gospel, this separation between God and humanity, but that Christ comes and he lives as one of us except without sin. And then he dies a death in our place. He pays our penalty. And then he reconciles God and humanity. He brings us back to God. That we know we're sinners. We confess we are sinful. But that Jesus forgives our sin. That grace, unmerited favor of God, forgives our sin. And that in our forgiveness, we, we are welcomed back into the family of God. The way we were created to be, but we have not been. The way we were designed to be, but we have not lived up to. And so God brings us into his family. We are adopted as children of God. In response to this, as, as this message goes forth, and this is fast forward to the New Testament and the first message going out in the New Testament by the church as, as Jesus ascends back to heaven, Peter preaches this gospel and he talks about forgiveness and, and separation of God and humanity. And then the people ask him, well, what do we do? And it's, it's right here in Acts 2. It says, but now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. So if you're at home or, or, or you're here today, whatever, however it goes, if you're asking, what do I do? What do I do to be reconciled back to God? We heed the words of what Peter says, we'll repent and be baptized, right? We turn from our idolatrous ways. We repent of our sin and we come to God. And, and if we've never been baptized before, which these people had not when Peter said that, then we get baptized. And that's what we get to celebrate today. And baptism is this image of us dying to our flesh as we go under the water and then arising in Christ. That we identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and for the reconciliation of us to God. This powerful moment, this sacrament, this means of grace, a sign and a seal of our faith is this moment that we call baptism. Where symbolically the water washes away our sin and symbolically we understand our death and our resurrection in Christ. But in real ways that we are promised the Spirit, Right? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That there is a strength and it takes place in baptism. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, then reach out to us. Let us know. We're going to do baptisms again next month. We've got more people that want to be baptized. And so join us. Be a part of that. We're finding COVID-safe ways to do that and, and to, to do things to where we can be comfortable in doing that and still pursuing our faith. Verse 10, back in, in, in Exodus 34, it says, and he said, behold, I am making a covenant before all your people, I do marvels. 
This is God speaking. Such as not have been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you whom are st- who still see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do for you. I want to point out as God reiterates the covenant. He is making a covenant with people. It's the people Israel. It's a nation of people, but it's a people, right? When we say church, we don't mean a building. When we say church, we don't mean a service. When we say church, we mean the, the people, right, that, that are God's people that happen to identify themselves locally here. The people here is Israel, yes, but it's not a nation. In fact, they don't even have land yet. God is promising to take them today into that land. That's a promise God makes today. But God renews this covenant, this failed covenant. He gave them the rules, and then the people failed, and then God forgives them, and he renews the covenant. But I want you to hear this. He renews a covenant with a people, not a nation. They're called Israel. Yes, their nation will be called Israel. Eventually, they will get land that will be called Israel. Today, there's ground on earth, a geography that is called Israel, but that's not who has a covenant. It's the people. It's the people who place their trust and their faith in God. Today we need to hear that. It's not the ground we live on. America doesn't make us Christians. America doesn't mean we're blessed. America doesn't mean that we're included in God's plan. Included in God's plan means we, the people, we are followers of Jesus. That God covenants with a people, not with dirt, not with geography, not with boundaries, not with leaderships, but with people. And that the covenant today with us made through Christ is for people. That it isn't enough to be born in the right nation. It isn't enough to vote the right way. It isn't enough. There's, and there's, you know, there's no right way to vote sometimes. But it can't be an identification with a, with a, a party or a, a state or a nation. It, it, it isn't. It's people. God covenants with people. And he here re-covenants with a failed and broken people just like you and I. He renews his promise of, I will be your God and you will be my people. Verse 11 says this, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. So here's what happens. God makes a covenant with the people to be their God, right? I will be your God, you will be my people, you'll obey me, I will lead you, I will care for you. And then he says this, be careful not to covenant with the people. Now, I'm going to drive the people that are in the land out so you have a place to live. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you the land and the people, and be careful, all the people that live around you, don't covenant with them. Your covenant is with me. You keep your trust in me, God says. You You don't trust in the people around you right? Imagine those covenants would be like treaties with people next to them, or, or, you know, it could be business, could be anything, but it drifts into worship. As we begin to make these human relationships, it drifts into worship, and so God is reminding them, even before he gives them a land, your covenant is with me. I care for you. I drive the nations out. You covenant with me. Be careful. Get rid of that so you don't, are not tempted to covenant with them. So you don't strike up deals locally and start becoming like them. So here's a note for us. Living differently in the world. Grace causes us to live differently than those around us. We have a different hope. We have a different focus because we have the promises of God. Right? We are a different people. We covenant with God. Our promises are fulfilled in God. 
They're not fulfilled in, in anything here that we can just place our trust and our faith and our covenants in with people. We can't sign up for a party and vote for the right person and then have that fulfill the promises of God. We also can't say, well, if this happens, then this will make us less like God because inside our hearts, nothing changes. You see, our covenant is with God. God is covenanting with people. God is promising grace and forgiveness to people, but he's warning them, don't be like the world you live in. Be mine, don't be like them. Live distinctly in the world that you live in. Verse 13 says this, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. So here's what God says, as you go into the land, they have false worship. Like you had a golden calf, they have other idols. So you're going to go into this land and I'm going to, I'm going to push people out. I'm going to give you a place. But when you get there, they're going to have idols and temples and places of false worship. And I want you to destroy that. I don't want you to covenant with them and become like them. In fact, I want you to rid the land of them and their false worship. So he begins to talk to them about destroying false worship. Now, I want to I take this and I want to give some things that we can do today. And our job is not to get rid of false worship. We've been trying to vote out false worship now for generations, right? Our job is true worship. As we pursue true worship of God, then our lives will change. The false worship in our lives, which is most important, our lives. Then we become like God. And then as that takes place, others will see that and it'll work out. So our job is true worship. And so I want to give you, I'm going to give you, I think it's seven things today. The first one is this. We worship God by disconnecting our hearts from anything that isn't Jesus. We live and participate in the world, but our hearts must love only our Savior. And I speak that to a culture that we have so many different ways that we're wrestling with this. Yes, politics is one of them. Our, our, the COVID situation is another, right? Racial tension, all these things that are going on around us that we really can't control, and we for sure can't vote in a solution. They must come, those, those answers must come from God. They must come from us truly worshiping God. That will change us. And then God will use us to then change the culture that we live in. So we must then disconnect our hearts from anything that isn't Jesus. We don't give our hearts to anything other than Jesus. Verse 14 says this, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God lest he make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. He says, listen, you stay with your heart to me. You worship me. You don't do as the rest, right? You don't go out and then engage in false worship. So number two, we worship God by trusting in him by faith. Instead of the solutions in our world, we look to Jesus to change us first and then change the world through us. Right? Instead of going out and trying to find a worldly or human solution or a political solution or even in our case of the virus, do we all want a vaccine and a cure and we want no COVID cases? Yes. But our faith is in God, not in medicine. Our faith is in God, not government. Our faith is in Jesus. And as soon as we, we kind of drift outside of that and we begin to believe in something else, then we get polarized and we begin to fight among ourselves. And God says, listen, don't go down that road. Don't invest in that. Don't believe in the worldly solutions. Trust in me. I will lead you through this. I want to restart at verse 15 again. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, right? Trust in other people. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of this sacrifice, you participate. Verse 16, 
And you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. And this is so important. We see this in repeatedly throughout Israel, and then we get warnings about it in the church. And it's the idea of marriage. Why? Why would we not give our sons in marriage to their daughters? And what God, what God is saying is, when you give your sons in marriage to their daughters and you bring them in and then you have children, then their daughters teach your children their way of worship, not your way of worship. And so he makes marriage. Number one, marriage is just the, the central part of our homes, right? It begins with a marriage and then we have children, we make a family and the church is really kind of built on the same idea. It's a family of families. And so as we do that, we make the family the central place where we we train up our children in our faith, and we, and we pass the values and that connectivity to God. We pass that on. And so marriage becomes that most important commitment below our commitment to God. And when we marry someone, we marry someone who shares our faith and shares our commitment to our faith. And when we marry outside of that, it only goes wrong. It never goes right. This will become, as we will look at next year, this will become the fall of Israel, will be through this thing. Solomon will spread himself out so thin with other women who don't worship God that they will teach his child, his successor, his son. They will not teach him to worship God. They will teach him to worship false gods. And the decline of the kingdom will come because Solomon wanted to marry the women of the world. God says, don't give your sons and your daughters in marriage outside your faith. And a lot of people read this as about like outside a race or an ethnicity. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with faith. That we must share a common faith. That our homes are that hub and central place for our faith. And we should never marry anyone whose faith and values don't match our commitment to our faith. So number three, we worship God and he shapes how we see life. We view everything through the lens of faith, marriage, family, education, vocation, time, everything, right? Where our kids go to school, we see that through the lens of our faith, what we do for a job, everything we do, our marriage, our children, our life, everything, we see it through the lens of our faith. God must shape everything. To truly worship God, God shapes everything. Verse 17, it says, you shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the Old Testament, the feast of the unleavened bread, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month, Abib. For the month Abib, you came out of Egypt. He begins to remind them, again, we're talking about what is true worship. He keeps reminding them, don't do false worship. Don't make cast metal images of other things. That's false worship. But he's calling them to true worship. That's something we need to learn. In our culture, oftentimes, we focus on what we, we shouldn't be doing. Well, this is sin. Let's focus on the sin. No, let's, let's focus on the truth. God keeps calling them forward to true worship, and then little hints and reminders, don't do the false worship, right? Instead, do this, and he's telling them about the, the rituals and the practices of their faith that keep them grounded in their faith. Here's number four. We worship God by actively engaging in our faith and worship gathering, community groups, and serving so that we are strengthened in Christ Jesus. We go through the things that God has given us to do, right? We're coming up to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and, and I know those will be big family things and, and lots of things, food things, whatever it might be. But we need to find ourselves in Christ first, that we need to see things, we need to walk through the things that God has called us to do to strengthen us in our faith. Baptism is one of those. Today, we are baptizing people. They are, 
giving themselves over to be committed to Jesus, and that first step of obedience is baptism. We take communion now on the first of the month. Each month, we go through reminding ourselves of the death and the promises of Jesus, and we let that strengthen us in Christ. That we do, we do, we stay faithful and committed to the things that God has called us to do because he's called us to them to keep us strong in our faith that we might be faithful worshipers. Verse 19 says this, all that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck, and the firstborn of your sons shall be redeemed, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. You got to go all the way back to a very agrarian setting where everybody raised cattle and grew food, and nobody's really growing food right now because they're wandering through a wilderness, and so it's really cattle and so God has made this commitment, your firstborn child, your firstborn son especially, and then your firstborn of each, you know, if, if whatever it is, of each, uh, if you have sheep or you have cow or whatever you have, that the firstborn is God's. And it's this idea not only of giving, but it's this idea of trusting and having faith that by giving, what we do, so if you fast forward to today, it's giving the first tenth, right, to ministry, to the church, it's this idea of you give first to God, that the first that comes in, that goes to God, and it, and it teaches you to trust God for everything else. And so the same idea, if you had a herd and, and, and one of your, your cows had, a, had calves, the first one goes to God, and then you live and you trust God for the rest. So here's another note for you. Number five, we worship God by trusting him with and for our income. The world we live in says put your trust in money, even when our money says in God we trust. Right? Well, our world tells us you can trust on your bank account, you can trust in your job. I need a better job, I need a better education so I can make a better income. The world we live in says trust in your money, even when our money says that we trust in God. Remind ourselves that it is God who gives us our job. It is God who gives us our skills. It's God who gives us our mind or even the breath that we have. And so we give back to God faithfully and we trust him. That is how we worship. Verse 21, six days a week you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. When times are hard, when times are really good. Right? When you're going broke and when you're making a ton, you still do the same thing. He says you work six days and then you take the Sabbath and you give the Sabbath to God. Number six, we worship God by giving him one day a week. We here, American the church, we often fall short thinking this is about stopping our work when it is really about starting our worship. We begin our week by giving a day to God and then we live out our work week. We trust him that when not everything got done and we're tempted to work on our Sabbath, we don't. We know, God, we trust you. We trust you with our time. We trust you with our income. We trust you with everything. God, we place our trust in you. This is true worship. Verse 22, you shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, the feast of the ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God the God of Israel. This is about worship and ritual laws, but this is the, that they have a big, the big things that they celebrate together, that God gives them not just the communion that's regular or the baptism that you do when you we begin your faith or the worship service that you attend every Sunday or the community group that you attend so that you, you learn how to apply things to your life and you build a community. It's, it's all those little rhythms, yes. But then God gives us the big ones. God gives us big things to do 
to remind us of the importance and the cost of our faith. So number seven, I'll give you this. We worship God by our faith overshadowing the culture. Holidays, even about Jesus, get only a small focus on faith and more on family and festivities, right? Even the ones that are about Jesus, Christmas, just take this December and ask yourself, if you measure it by last December, I know this year will be weird with COVID and, and I hope it's better, but if you measure by last year, how much of your December, not just Christmas Day, but even that, how much of your December was given to Jesus and how much of your December was given to the, the, the cultural Christmas, Christmas shopping and gift giving and get, gift getting and, and the baking and the food and the family and the get togethers, the work parties, the small group parties, all the things. And they're all good things, but do we give Christmas to Jesus? Or do we let it be overshadowed by the cultural version of it? So if we were to take these seven things and we're going to say, okay, God, I'm going to give myself over to true worship. I'm going to, I, know I'll be, I'm, I know I'll make mistakes, but God, I'm going, to, I'm going to head this direction. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to place my worship in you alone. I'm going to abandon false worship. I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm just going to trust in you, God. I'm going to, this year, this Christmas, this whatever, I'm going to do more. I'm going to suppress into you. I'm going to trust in Jesus. Here's what God says. He says, when you do this, here's what I do. Verse 24. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in a year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice without anything leavened or let the sacrifice of the feast of Passover remain until morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's mouth. There's a lot of cultural worship things, but here's what he says. I'm going to drive the nations out before you, and then you're going to inhabit the land. And when you go up to worship, you don't have to worry about your stuff at home. No one's going to be trying to steal your stuff and coveting your stuff. Your neighbors are all going to worship God too. When you follow me, I solve the problem. When you try and fix the problem, you create problems. But when you worship me, I solve the problems. Modern day, as we look at our culture today, want to fix our nation, whatever that means to you. If you want to fix what's wrong, if you want to take care of racism, if you want to eliminate abortion, you want to, you want to fix the morals and the woes and the problems of our nation, then the way to do that is for all of us to give ourselves over to following Jesus. Our condition is not political. Our condition is spiritual. Our condition is in our hearts. And God calls us to change before he can use us to change others. Verse 27, he says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Brand new Ten Commandments Moses gets again after throwing and breaking the last ones that God wrote by hand. Can we just all admit that God should acquit these people like last week after the golden calf? And can we admit, like, God should quit us too right now for the way we've treated things throughout coronavirus or, or policy or anything else. God, God should let us just be what we want to be. Let's go be political animals. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. Let's fight and argue on social media. God could just walk away and say, you know what? Not what I want to do. But God has grace. God's love for us means we get unmerited favor from God, something we didn't earn or deserve. Baptism is that symbol of us receiving all of that. 
your baptism, whenever you were baptized, or these that are getting baptized today, it's that recognition that God washes away all of that, that we die to all of that, and we rise again to new life. We live a new way because of grace. Verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Moses comes down the mountain, and it's like he's been maybe in the sun too long, and it's bright red. I don't know what it is, but he, he's been in God's presence, and he is glowing, literally glowing, shining. Everybody sees this. He has been in God's presence so much that he looks different than everybody else. And when they see him, that's what they see. They see God's presence on Moses' face. Generations Church, this is what I want for us. I want us to be so closely connected to God that we look different than the world that we live in. I would love it if our faces shone with the presence of God, but I will settle for us living the way he calls us to, worshiping the way he calls us to. My prayer for you and for me is that we will be so connected to God that we will look different that we will look distinct from the world around us and that people will see God when they look at us. Will you pray with me? God, as we gather today, <clears throat> we want to be the people you call us to be. We want to be who you've made us to be, who you've designed us to be, but we have fallen short. We have sinned. We have sinned on purpose, We've sinned on accident. We've sinned and sinned and sinned, and we know that that separates us from you. But by your grace, through Christ, we are reconciled, that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven, but we're also brought into your family. And for anybody who's watching right now online and doesn't have the privilege of being here, but wants to know you, God, I pray that you would make yourself known to them. For those that are here today, God, May today be a brand new day. For all of us who've been walking with you for a long time, Lord, let us be convicted and drawn nearer. Let us be drawn into your presence. All of us fail in those ways of worshiping. Those just seven ideas that you point out to Moses about how true worship should look. All of us fall short. So God, let us repent. Let us humble ourselves. Let us return to you, God. And at the end of the day, God, may our faces shine with your presence to the rest of this world. Our world needs you so badly. And if we're honest, the church has not represented you well. We'd rather fight and argue than be in your presence and shine your face to the world. Jesus, help us to be that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.